than that. Really glad that you're here uh, and um, really excited about just, uh, uh, just really how this series is going uh, called Charisma that we've been in about spiritual gifts. But before I jump into um, our, our, gift, uh, our gifts today, which is administration and giving, I know those are awesome like sounding gifts, aren't they? Uh, but before I jump into that, uh, I want to take a few minutes to, to just reflect on uh, what's happened in the U.S. election this past week, because it would be really kind of just naive to not really... All right. Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I want to just say thank you to, to those of you, many of you, who have taken interest in the U.S. election and American politics in general. I know that uh, many Canadians, I mean, you want the best for your cousins south of the border. And so really thank you for that, especially those who have spent a lot of time in prayer uh, for uh, our leadership uh, in the U.S. So thank you so much for that. Uh, secondly, I just want you to know that the leadership of our church, uh, we deeply empathize with those that feel hurt, confused, shocked at the election's uh, result. Um, we deeply are, are, you know, we feel a lot of what you, uh, many of you have felt and expressed to us this week. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't think Mike and I have had any conversation this week with anyone that didn't involve the uh, U.S. election. So, um, uh, you know, there are, uh, they're both legitimate and perceived fears uh, that, ha- that come with any election result, uh, but this one in particular. Uh, but as a church, we strive to model diverse leadership in ethnicity and gender. Uh, we, we desire to love and work with Muslims. Uh, we welcome foreigners regardless of their religion or their class. Um, so um, our church in particular, we're uniquely gifted, designed, crafted, diversified in our mission, the way that we craft, the way that we understand who we are as a church. We've been gifted in, oper- in, in, in seasons like this. Um, I guess that's kind of my message really regarding this is that uh, don't forget that this immediate community, we represent something um, that speaks so much louder than any talking head uh, that we've um, listened to this week. Um, That's the New Testament church. That's the New Testament church. It's always been this radical alternative to the community and society that uh, it finds itself in. Um, So because of that, because of our diversity, because of who we are, because of our mission, because of how we operate, we actually can create spaces for people to rejoice when they rejoice and to create spaces for people to mourn when they mourn. And there are a lot of people that are rejoicing and there are probably even more so a lot of people that are mourning um, the results of this. Um, This is an opportunity for us as a church uh, to model for our our culture uh, what it looks like to be a community um, that is passionate about the things of God. And so, uh, Trina, like, we can, we can help those who rejoice, um, and I, I'm trying to, to stay as far away from politics as possible, but we can help those who rejoice in this to understand, again, that, you know, we have an, a responsibility to be, to hold our leadership accountable. And so as you have conversations, you know, that's going to be a part of it. Uh, we also have the uh, unique ability to help other people understand why some people feel fearful. Uh, I grew up in the county that still hasn't yet uh, released all of their votes yet uh, in, in, in the city of Detroit, Wayne County. Uh, and so, because there's a lot of fear in that neighborhood. And so, for those of you guys who know and are working with those who are just kind of fearful, like, yeah, you know, how can this happen? We have an opportunity to begin to walk people through why those fears exist. 
Uh, but the flip side is that we also can help those who are mourning in this process as well, that they're shocked, they just don't know what's going on. Um, we can help them to understand that, hey, you know, God's kingdom is coming. But what we need to be very careful of, and I, I, I think this is um, um, so important as we talk to people, is that let's be careful not to contribute to the fear-mongering that media is already so awesome at doing. Um, and so let's work real hard to, to curb people's fears uh, but at the same time, uh, we can't be trite in the way that we, you know, yes, Jesus is still on the throne, <laughs> but let's not be trite uh, because there are real hurts and real fears. And as a Canadian, uh, you probably have a luxury in that you can kind of stand outside of that. Um, but I have some very real uh, friendships where people are lost and confused and they don't know their next step. And so um, let's be mindful that that stuff is very real. The hurt is very real. So the gospel that heals the hurt is the same gospel that gives us the ability to empathize with people. And I want to commend uh, many of you who you've done that. You've done a great job empathizing. I also just want to encourage you to not spread the fear mongering that, again, um, you know, I feel like that's not our job. The media does a great job at that. So uh, if you're interested in talking more about this, Mike and I, we make ourselves readily available. Um, I don't think we have the perfect perspective on this as well. Um, but uh, some of you guys don't care, and that's okay, too. Uh, <laughs> but if you do want to talk more, we want to make ourselves ready available. But uh, let me recommend four practical ways before we jump into the message um, to process the out- to continue to process the outcome of this. And one is prayerfully read through the Bible and see how God's people have failed and succeeded, but ultimately persevered through every single political situation that's ever happened. Uh, read the book of Daniel. I did this week. Uh, and it gave me a better perspective on what was going on. Read the book of Acts. That's how the church grew, was in the midst of craziness of politics. Uh, secondly is have conversations that center around action-oriented opportunities, okay? Instead of powwowing and saying, hey, you know, uh, let's make fun of Americans, which I know you didn't do, but, uh, you know, um, we did Wednesday night a little bit, but, <laughs> um, but why don't you ask, how can our BLG help our neighbors, you know, their fears subside? How can we be action-oriented? in this. Uh, number three is, hey man, let's, let's be radically committed to this vision of being a community that's diverse, that embraces the foreigner, that values diversity, and we love each other. Man, let's be sold out to this cause, because this cause will endure different politicians. Like, this is God's plan. And so let's be deeply and radically committed and sold out to the fact that if we love each other as a church, that that will mean something and that will change things. You can tell I'm passionate about that one. Um, And then the last one is um, allow God, allow God to deal with your inner politician. Because we all have little politicians inside of us that justify and that argue and that they want to get their point across. And we all have that. The Bible calls it our sin nature. Uh, ask yourself, man, why am I so apathetic with, the, you know, what's going on? Or ask yourself, why am I so fearful, so angry? And allow God to go into those places inside of you and to argue with your inner politician and allow God to transform you uh, as we walk through this process. Ultimately, you know, again, I don't mean to be trite, but we all know that Jesus is the best candidate for all the nations. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us. Because he's the only candidate that, that, that actually can out-debate the inner politician inside of us. Uh, and uh, that's why he gets to be king at the end of the day. Uh, the kingdom that he's building isn't ruled by ego-driven politicians. 
And so that's the actual kingdom that most people long for, whether they know it or not. Uh, and that's the kingdom that we get to talk about. Uh, that's the kingdom we talk about every Sunday, not just post-election Sunday. Today will be about the kingdom of God. Next week will be about the kingdom of God. It'll be about his reign, his rule, what he's doing, how we're participating in that. And so again, at the, at the risk of sounding a little bit trite, like that is the reality. That is our message. That is our good news. That Jesus outlasts all that, and we get to participate in his ruling and his reigning on earth. And so I just want to remind us all, if you're not yet convinced, that you are the DNA carriers of the kingdom of God. And it's not our politicians or our public representatives. They serve a very practical, real-life purpose. But at the end of the day, the way that the kingdom comes to heaven is through the church, because only the church has the DNA. And that's our responsibility to live it out. We're going to look at, um, uh, uh, you know, go back to our series this morning, and this is kind of a rough transition, but I got to steer this thing to our, to our, our sermon topic this morning. But that, that's why we're going through spiritual gifts, because there, you have a re real tangible way to, to, to take part in how the DNA fleshes itself out in society. Um, and sometimes it looks drastically different from the way that other people would do it. Jesus doesn't always do it the way that we think he should do it. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' way of doing things, he's often very subversive, that he doesn't do the obvious. And so that's why it's important for us to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will guide us in how to respond and how to move forward um, when, when we experience seasons like this. So we're going to look at three things this morning as I talk about building the kingdom, and that's kind of the idea this morning, is building the kingdom. How do we do that? How do we live out the kingdom that Jesus is building on earth, and that is a kingdom that will outlast any political kingdom that exists. Uh, so three things real quick. The first one will be is embracing God's kingdom assignment for you. Secondly is we're going to talk about how to release administrators for the future, and that's, I know that sounds just as fun as Economics 101 at university, <laughs> but it's going to be good. And then we're going to talk about, uh, uh, thirdly, is how to release givers uh, to sow and reap. All right, so, but first let's look at embracing your assignment to build God's kingdom. Every believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, even if last week was the first time you chose to follow Jesus, every one of us have been gifted and been given an assignment. And, uh, and, and Paul, in this passage, he talks about that in particular. Let's look at that real quick again. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one or each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. Um, Paul's talking about assignments, and in the midst of talking about assignments, he talks about planting and watering. And this language actually is, he's referring to the establishing of churches and the uh, maintaining or growing or, 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 or uh, maintaining the health of churches. So Paul started local churches, but gifted people like Apollos came after him uh, to grow them, to minister to them. Uh, you see this, this happened in Ephesus, this happened in Corinth, which is the church that Paul's writing to. Uh, this happened in Philippi and a couple of different places. And Paul's making a really, uh, a really important point in this. And the point that uh, Paul's uh, making here, you know, he says, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? What he's saying is that uh, don't turn to your favorite leader and expect that that's the best and the only way to do things. He says, don't even do that with me. 
There's no one person that can do the entirety of building God's kingdom. It takes all of us. It takes a lot of us. Different gifts, different mindsets. All of us have a peace. He says that the Lord assigned each of us a peace in that. And so Paul's job was to plant. He got things started because he was an entrepreneur. He enjoyed the complexity and the frustration of starting things up on his own. That was his job. He was really uh, good at that. Uh, but then he needed the Apollos' to come in and to raise up leaders and to, to, to lead out the house churches and to build processes to feed the poor and help the needy. And so that was Apollos' job. Paul planted, Apollos uh, watered. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was God. God caused the growth to happen. And so here's a really quick, you know, check-in point. Um, where are you? Where are you? Where's your assignment? Uh, each one of us, uh, as a believer and follower of Jesus, you've been given an assignment in building the kingdom of God through the local church. That, that's a part of us. That's what Paul and, and Apollos spent their life doing. And the assignment that God's given to you, uh, it may be a skill, it may be a resource, it may be an opportunity, it could even be your circumstance right now. But that is a part of how God intends to use you to build his kingdom through training life through your, uh, through your life. And so uh, we... Before I move too far, I, that should, I want that to sink in a little bit with us. Because he, he, he didn't say that the Lord has given you options. <laughs> he didn't say that the Lord has given you, you know, different, uh, you know, uh, choices. But he's saying that we have assignments. Uh, some of us are discovering those assignments. Some of us know what our assignment is. But um, that doesn't negate the fact that God has something very unique for each one of us in building. The point that Paul is making is that if Paul never plants, then Apollos never waters. And if Apollo never waters, then God can't give the growth. And so there are, th there are people in our city that are waiting for us to actually do our part. Um, so other people are, there are people that are waiting to meet Jesus, and they're waiting for you to plant, and they're waiting for you to water. There are poor, there are those who are marginalized in our city that are, that are experiencing injustice, and they're waiting for some of us to plant and to water. Uh, there are those who are hurting, and they need community, and they're lonely in our city, and they're waiting for us to step outside of our comfort zone to do the assignment that was given to us by God to plant and to water. And every time we plant and water, Every time we do that diligently, it's almost like that attracts God. And he says, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow that. But it's dependent on us uh, fulfilling our assignment. Later on in verse 10, uh, Paul says, he says, um, he's talking about the quality of work now, the quality of building. He says, let each one take care how he builds on it. And he, when he says it, it's the foundation. The, Paul says that his job was to build the foundation. He gave blueprints. He gave infrastructure. Uh, I was an engineer, so I might nerd out a little bit here, but Paul was building infrastructure. He had the blueprints. He, he had the design. His job was to come and show people. And then people like us, our job is to come in, take care carefully read the designs read the blueprint understand what's going on we're supposed to grab a part of the blueprint and then actually after doing that we're supposed to build some rooms like we have a, a practical building piece in this paul didn't say study the blueprints he says actually take care how you build on his foundation and so that means that grab a part of the blueprint with care with time with talents and with treasure build some rooms and build some floors is my building engineer analogy coming across? I want to make sure I don't lose anybody because 
uh, like a large part of what I'm going to say depends on this. You, you, we, have, we have an assignment to build a room uh, uh, in, in the kingdom of God. What does a room look like for us? For, what does it look like for us here at Trinity Life Church? Well, last week we had the Connections Crawl. That was cool. Uh, everybody enjoyed the Connections Crawl last week. It was really uh, awesome. And in the midst of that, God used the Connection Crawl in our service last week to draw someone to start a relationship with God for the first time. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing that just, you know, we, all we did was like, hey, let's connect people. And in the midst of that, someone made a decision to begin a relationship with God for the first time in their life. That's amazing. We planted, we watered, we were diligent in that, and then God begins to give the growth. That's, an, that's, a, that's a way in which we're building rooms in the kingdom of God. Here's other ways. Um, right now we have five BLGs. If, you're a, if you lead or, or if you participate in a BLG, a body life group, can you raise your hand real quick if you're in one, if you're leading one? Okay, so a good percentage of us, all right? I'm not shaming anybody by just having, you know, if you're not, your hands aren't raised. But, you know, um, so our, our BLGs are at max capacity. Most of our BLGs run between 12 to 15 to 20 people. And that's awesome and it's fun, but also it doesn't facilitate a lot of, like, intimate environments. And so could you imagine in the next year, like, having 10 BLGs? And creating enough space for more people to be in that environment to share their life and to, to receive prayer and, and to receive ministry. And so because the way that we lead BLGs, it's team-led, that requires 10 to 12 people uh, to, to start five more BLGs. And so just, I mean, that's, that's building rooms. You understand? Like in the kingdom of God, there's some actual, like, actionable ad- items in how we're actually building the kingdom of God uh, in our local church. And so, um, hey, if you're interested in that... Uh, North York, Scarborough, West End, uh, man, uh, we would love to, to chat with you about that. We have two in downtown. We can add another one. That's fine. Um, but if you're interested in that, um, let us know. So those are rooms. How do we build floors, okay? Using my analogy again, how do you build floors in the kingdom of God if we're building uh, this thing? Um, well, imagine this. Again, I'm just throwing ideas out there. This is stuff that, you know, we've been praying and thinking about. But can you imagine five years from now? Let's say Trinity Life, right? Imagine five years from now, we started churches in Toronto that had the same vision and DNA. I just, imagine if this was our vision statement. Let's just look at this real quick. Turning to life, starting churches that help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ to influence the city and the world. You see how that takes us from like just looking at a room to now we're actually looking at a floor? Right, you're kind of zooming out just a little bit, and you're saying, well, hey, we can be a part of that. We could help start other churches in other neighborhoods that have our vision and DNA, but then love on the locality of that neighborhood. And so when you look at that, that requires us as a church to begin thinking, well, we need to begin to train people, help people plug into leadership. We need to water the ministries that we currently have right now, and so that God can release some people in the next few years to, 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 to do some of this, to build some floors in the kingdom of God. And so if we embrace our assignment in the kingdom of God um, through planting and watering and building infrastructure, um, and I know that word doesn't mean anything to a lot of people, but when I talk about admins, it'll help you a little bit, um, then uh, we then can move on from building rooms to building floors. And honestly, that is a part of our vision and desire is God, not just here at Jarvis, but why not all over our city? Why not all over Toronto? So Uh, Let's uh, look at the gifts of administration and giving because these two gifts are a big part of how we actually build in the kingdom of God. 
Um, these gifts are connected to each other in that they're actually at the, at the heart of these two gifts. It's about stewardship and investment. Um, some of you Bay Street workers, you know, you might uh, appreciate this, but uh, it's, it's really about stewardship and investment. Uh, where uh, administration is about stewarding and investing people, and giving is about stewarding and investing uh, resources. And so I'll talk about administration, but then a lot of what I talk about administration will, will have a lot to do with uh, giving as well. So well, let's talk about releasing administrators uh, to build for the future. All right. So exciting. Let's release administrators. Well, part of the problem when we talk about administrators is most of us think about secretary or admin work, right? That's kind of what we think about when we talk about that. Uh, the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that actually mentions the gift of administrating uh, says this, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, in various kinds of tongues. It might be helpful if we look at the first set of gifts, like apostles, second uh, prophets, third teachers, that those may be correlation to planting gifts. And then miracles, healing, helping, administrating various tongues, those may be helpful to correlate with watering gifts. So administration could be thought of as a watering gift. Um, and it's tempting again to think, okay, administration, well, that's the people that they make copies and they, you know, do all, uh, a little bit different from that. Uh, instead of thinking secretary, when you think administration, think COO, chief operating officer, those who are gifted in this way. Because a church's mission is only as good as the church's ability to operate the mission. So, so now you see that it's a bit more important than just being able to, to make copies and, uh, you know, keep a schedule. But this person, uh, the connotation with administration actually means overseeing. It's a leadership gift. It's being able to, to lead and to steer. As a matter of fact, the original word um, in the original language uh, means uh, steering of a ship. So an administrator is not necessarily the captain of a ship, but the administrator is actually the person who works with the captain to make sure the ship gets to the place where it needs to be. And so this is the way that I would describe it, that those gifted by the Holy Spirit with administration have the leadership gift of organizing in overseeing people to implement a kingdom vision. Those of you who are gifted administratively, now you're, you're the ones that are starting to get excited because you're like, yeah, I think that's me. Administrators have a knack for building environments so that people can grow through relationships. They also have a knack for building teams so that people can grow through serving. Now, Paul is gifted in this gift of planting, but Apollos, it seems, he was the one that was gifted in administration because he was the one that came after Paul, and he built leadership, house churches, um, systems and processes. Um, and if you're this person, and I know a few of you are, like I know in our church, God's blessed us with a few good administrators, that if this is you, let me, um, let me, uh, let me love on you real quick. And this, you may be this person in your workplace, but, but for a lot of you, you're also this person in our church, that your leadership energy will eventually begin to dissipate if you don't work closely with the people that have vision. Because what happens with administration is if you keep doing the thing over and over again and you're building systems and processes, you get lost in the confusion of like flow charts and processes and organizations. And so you need to work closely with those, very closely with those who carry the vision. But conversely, likewise, for those of you guys who are very visionary, and we have so many of you as well, that if you are just constantly spewing out, you know, vision, but you're not working closely with administrators, your energy will eventually dissipate as well because it doesn't lead to any tangible action. 
And so I'm almost convinced that like Jesus and the apostles, the way that they work together, the reason why it was always a team, whenever Jesus sent people out to do ministry, or whenever the apostles went out, it was always a team. And I think a big part of that was because there are those who carried the vision and there are those who carried the ability to execute the vision. Very few times, don't feel guilty if you're this way, very few times will you see a person who is both. In God's design, maybe even in your marriage or in your relationship, you're always going to have the person who says, I want to do this, and the other person's going to be like, how? <laughs> I don't know how your marriage works if you're married, but <laughs> that's kind of how me and Linda's marriage works. I'm like, hey, let's do this, let's do this. And she's like, okay, well, answer this question for me. Like, I don't have the answer for that, but you know what? God's called us to do this. And she's like, well, give me the, you know, the, what's the next, be patient, what's the next step? You know, that's how it works. That's that God intentionally designed bodies of Christ to work in this way. And so it's important for us that if you're gifted in this way as an administrator, that you work closely with the one who can, can remind you again, okay, this is what God's called us to do. And so you don't get caught up in the processes and the structures. Uh, we need this. Uh, we're building more local engagement here in St. Jamestown. I talked about body life groups, our, our Sunday ministries, planting more churches. Man, we need so much organization. And, and uh, uh, when I was an engineer, we talked about scalability, those kinds of things. But we just need people who want to love and other people through uh, building these things. Um, sometimes it's tempting to be caught up in the process. Paul actually says in verse 15, he says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And there's a way that we can do work, in any kind of work, administration, you know, you know, preaching, any kind of work. There's a way that you can do work that at the end of the day, it doesn't actually outlast, you know, you. That it ends with you. Paul says that there comes a day when actually people's motivations and the, the realness of their work will actually be proven whether it was genuine or not. And so there's a way in which we can do administration that, you know, it's all about just the actual process. And Paul's saying, you know, keep it about the people. Let's make it about the end goal, which is people. And a good administrator uh, will realize that they use processes and structures to focus on people. Processes and structures are ways in which we actually focus on people. And some of you guys are so gifted at that. Like, I look at you and you're like stone cold. You're just a stone cold person, but you're not. Because in, in your head, you're thinking, you know, I'm not stone cold. I'm thinking about the 50 other people, pastor, that you can't help. So if you think that's stone cold, you're misunderstanding, right? And so so many of you guys are gifted in that way. And we love that. We need that in our church. And Jesus says it's about people. There's a, there's a parable that he tells in Luke 16. Uh, it's a, a very precarious story. It's about a rich man who has a manager to manage his possessions. The manager wastes his possessions, so he's fired. And so he's scared. He, this is his response. He actually says, what shall I do since my pastor is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, I am not, and I am too ashamed to beg. He's saying that, you know, this is the only skill that I have. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't have a plan B. And so what he decides to do, he goes to all of the people that owe his uh, manager money, and he settles their accounts for less than what they owe. And then uh, this is the reason why he did it. He says this, I've decided what to do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. And Jesus gives such a weird response. He actually says, good job. You use your skill to make friends for yourself. Jesus actually says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, because it will, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. 
And Jesus is saying, use your gifts, your talents, all your abilities to win friends for you. Because all these things will go away. And at the end of the day, it'll be about the friendships that we have in the kingdom of God. The purpose for our skills and talents is meant to increase the quantity and quality of our relationships that we'll have in the kingdom. And for those of us who are gifted administratively, it's, it's a constant reminder for you to use the systems and the processes to be about the people. Because at the end of the day, that's what we'll have. It's the same point that the Apostle Paul is making. So let's turn our attention to giving now. And so that's administration that's building for the future. Let's turn our attention to giving. We want to release givers to sow and reap. Uh, the gift of giving is described in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And here's an abbreviated version. It says that having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The one who contributes or the one who gives, uh, do it generously. Um, uh, administration is about people, uh, investing people. Giving is about investing resources, property, belongings. And my description of the gift of giving is that those who are gifted by the Holy Spirit with giving have the ability to see how material resources, material resources further God's kingdom. Gifted givers will see generous and extravagant giving as their form of personal worship and personal responsibility. Um, some of you guys have this gift that I already know already. It's not natural to most of us. It's a gift that you can also grow in. For most of us, we became good givers because actually we, we received first. As a matter of fact, you became an extravagant giver in God's kingdom probably because at some point you looked at the cross and you realized that, man, it was in Jesus that God gave us everything. How can I not give back to him what I have in my hands? And so, um, firstly, that's what a good giver realizes, that it's about the, the extent of God's uh, charity and generosity to me that I respond to that in giving. But secondly, and this is what I've noticed, because I know a handful of great, awesome, extravagant givers. Secondly, the, the other thing that I notice about givers is that they understand the principle of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Um, this is different from karma. Karma says, you know, you get what you deserve. That's not. And this is also different from the Ponzi schemes that you see on TV. You know, if you sow into my ministry, we'll triple your investments. Like, it's different from that uh, as well. Um, but the, the principle of sowing and reaping is very simple. Uh, as a matter of fact, most, most givers who are gifted and understand this, like, it's almost like they're non-emotional, more rational understanding about money. Like, they don't have this emotionally attached thing to, to money. They just realize that if I or someone doesn't get something started today, it's never going to happen. And it really is that basic. They realize that if it's not me and if it's not my resources, then it's never going to happen. If we don't sow, nobody's going to reap. So I guess I better sow. And most, and again, it's not a super intellectual position, but givers are just that practical. The ones that I know, they just know that, like, the reason why they can do and they can function this way is that because money doesn't direct them, they can actually direct their money. So they just know that, like, hey, if I don't get this thing started, it's never going to happen, so let me do it. And here's the thing about those who are gifted in giving and those of you guys who are growing in this gift. This is what you're, you're, you're finding, that when you sow, 
when you give, and it may be, you know, it, it doesn't have to be finances. It may be property. It may be, you know, you know some, a belonging. But you know that when you give, it's never about the immediate fruit. When you sow the seed, it's not about the fruit that you're going to eat from the tree. It's not, all, it's not about a return on investment. As a matter of fact, sometimes when you sow extravagantly, people will think you're crazy. But when you sow a seed, givers understand that it's not about a tree and it's not about a fruit. But it's about a forest that I see. And givers have enough vision for the future. They know that, man, if I give this amount, this seed will eventually turn into a forest. They have vision. They can see that far. And I can tell you this, being a personal recipient of these kinds of givers, you know, um, it's amazing. It's amazing how these givers have the patience and the ability to delay gratification knowing that I may never get to see the result of what I give. But I know that that forest is coming. I know that those trees are being planted. And that seems to be the concept that they have in their head. Let me encourage those of you guys who have this gift and you're growing in this gift. And maybe you're dirt poor, okay? (laughs) Because it's not about financial amounts. It's not about how much you owe. Um, You don't have to be rich to be a big giver, okay? Uh, Because you're not managing your own finances. You're managing and stewarding God's uh, resources. Um, But let me, for those of you guys who are growing in that, and you just know, because like God always pricks your heart when when it comes to giving. For those of us who don't have the gift of giving, like we're always kind of like, oh man, that's too bad. I wish somebody's going to help that. (laughs) Uh, But those who have the gift of giving, you're always like, I got to do something. Like there's something I got to do. I want to confirm your suspicions about God. God is really as generous as you think he is. Like he is, if you've ever asked yourself, God, if I do this, like, are you really that faithful? If I gave this much, would you really? God really is that faithful. And when you, when you, when you align yourself with his generosity, you're, you're going to achieve a certain level of awareness that very few people don't achieve. And that's that when you give with extravagance and with, you know, with like almost a sense of like, you know, sacrifice, that you actually now enter into the realm in which God lives from. Because God lives to be generous. You begin to have the mindset that God has of extravagance. First John 3 says this, that, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished onto us. And if you are a giver and you walk in that, you will have a mindset of lavishness that very few of us walk around with. Most of us, if we're not careful, walk around with the mindset of scarcity. Givers don't. If you're gifted in this way, keep moving forward. When God gives you discernment on something to invest in, if it's from him, man, release it, let it go. Do as much as you can to make sure that thing goes. And I'm not just preaching this to increase our offering, though we need to increase our offering. (laughs) I'm, I'm saying this because for many of you, you will teach others of us what it looks like to be generous like God when you give. We need tangible, physical word pictures of what it means that God is generous. And we saw this happen Uh, Many, many times in the Bible when the church came together and it was struggling that Barnabas himself, it didn't say he was a rich man, but Barnabas himself said, you know, I believe in this church that's starting. I believe in this, I don't think the church was even as big as our group here. 
and it says that he actually sells his land. He sells his property that was probably deeded or he probably inherited from his family. He says, just so our church can continue to move forward. And, that we, and because Barnabas did that, we're here today. The legacy that you will leave may not be your name, but the legacy that you will leave when you sow seeds will be forest. Some of us will be picking fruit, eating apples and oranges. You're going to be sitting back and, oh, look at these forests that I invested in. And that's the ministry that God's called you to. He wants you to be over the top. He wants you to be open-handed. He, just, he wants you to go as far as you can in this area. For a lot of us, giving is a gift that you can develop. Any spiritual gift that we've talked about can be developed. All right? So, you know, uh, even, you know, Jesus tells a story about a widow who only has two copper pennies to give uh, to God's work. And he says, that, that's, that's huge in God's kingdom. The amount is relative. It's about this over-the-top desire to participate with what God is doing. And so um, God's called a lot of us to do that. Uh, let me step away from administration. Let me step away from giving. And let's just talk about this concept as we close um, about just working and investing in a rewards. Because I know that for a lot of us, when we talk about rewards, you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, you know, the Christian faith isn't about rewards and stuff like that, you know. And that's very true. As a matter of fact, I want to make it very clear to us that the gospel very clearly says that we don't work for a new life, the salvation that God's given to us. That, that we can't do anything to affect that. Like, we can't do anything to affect how God is pleased in us. You don't work for God's acceptance. acceptance. Um, but there's a sense in which when you understand that God, through Jesus Christ, has paid every debt that we've ever owed. That he's, the Bible says he's ransomed us with precious blood, very expensive blood. That Jesus, with his life, he bought the field, he bought the building materials, he created the blueprints for us. That in Jesus, that he actually is the, 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 the contractor, the, the foreman, the, the job site manager, the top administrator of this building project that, that uh, God is working on. And he actually purchased those things for us. When you realize that Jesus went to that extent so that we can participate in God's mission, that changes the motivation from where you do work. You may be like me that if you grew up in the church, you still struggle with, if I do more, God will be proud of me. But day by day, if you realize that, no, that Christ has done everything to make God proud. But if we walk in this relationship, the motivation from which you do work, the motivation from which you serve, the motivation in which you give begins to be more from this place of, man, I want to be diligent and responsible with the little that God's given to me. Because Jesus actually ties a promise to that. And he tells it in the parable of the talents. And uh, there's, a, uh, there's a guy who took 10 talents, which is equivalent to several, several thousand dollars. And he invests it and comes back double. So he receives 10 more talents. And Jesus actually says to, to the, the servant, he says this. He says, um, uh, well done, good and faithful servant, because you have been faithful in little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. 
And that's a very interesting principle that Jesus lays out there. So what he's saying is that if you're faithful in like flipping a couple thousand dollars or flipping, you know, the, the little responsibility that you have in front of you, and nobody may think, hey, that's a, that's a huge responsibility in the kingdom of God. Or if you're, you know, you're, if you're investing in the two or three people that God's given to you and you're caring for them, you're managing for them, and you actually multiply that, Jesus is actually saying, man, that's the heart of the ones that I would pick on my team to oversee the new kingdom. It's this issue of, man, I, I understand God's economy. I, I don't work because I know that it's going to earn me merit or favor. But I work because he has entrusted in me what seems little. But only because he wants to do infinitely more than you could ever want for yourself. So I want to encourage you this morning to be faithful with the little things that God's given in front of you. It may not be big. It's a passage in the book of uh, Zechariah that says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. It may not seem huge to you, but if you're faithful in investing and stewarding those things, God says to you, good and faithful servant, you were faithful with little. You see that neighborhood over there? I'll give you influence. You see what you're doing here at St. James Town? I might just multiply that. You know what you're building here at Trinity Life Church and it just seems like you're gathering and meeting in homes and you're so faithful in that. How about we do that all over the GTA? How about we move to a different province and do that? You know the relationships that you're building in your offices and you know, you're just loving people and you're caring for people? Hey, why not one day you, you in our inner office lunch, why don't you talk about what motivates you in being here at work? If, you're, if we're faithful with just a little bit, don't despise it. The worst thing you could do is despise the little that God's given you. He's given you a little of influence. If you despise that, it's gone. Done. But if you say, God, I'm, I'm going to be faithful. Let me invest this. Let me steward this. That's the heart. God says, yeah, I can give more. I can give more. This morning, for us, I think the challenge is it's more of God and less of me. Because less of me is the one that wants more influence. So we say, God, more of you. Why don't you come more into this area that I'm leading, this area that I'm an influential over, and I want more of you there. And whatever you decide, grow, not grow, that's up to you, but I just want you here. And for some of you this morning, I, that's where I just want your heart to be. I want God to be in your heart, in your life, so that transformation of influence can happen when he's ruling over your heart. I'm going to invite us to, to close our eyes. Communion deacons, you can come up. I'm going to pray for us as we lead into um, communion. If you are gifted in administration and you just never thought it was a useful thing for God's kingdom, that you would see now that you are probably one of the biggest missing pieces um, and that you would feel released in overseeing building teams, environments in the kingdom of God, building rooms. God, show us the way to move forward with those who are gifted in this way.
God, we need more Apollos's. We need more. I want to affirm you that you are so needed in God's kingdom. You are so needed here at Trinity Life Church. If you've been gifted in giving, and maybe because it's through circumstance you have the ability to give, I just want to encourage you that if you make it about the mindset and not about the amount that you'll see force. God, I just want to bless those who are gifted in giving, that, Lord, they would see that they exist today, not because of today, but it's because of generations that's after them. The legacy that they'll live is not so much in tribute to their name, but it'll be the thousands, if not millions, that are touched by uh, what can be done through your mission. So, God, I want to release them to sow and reap this morning. I want to bless you to sow and reap, to do it generously, to be over the top, to be extravagant. And in doing that, affirm all your suspicions that God's also that way. He also does that. God, as we come to your table this morning, if, as you stir people's hearts and they just know that I'm in a place right now where I just need to be right with God, this morning is an invitation for you as well. Put away your pride. Put away all of your doubts, all of your, your frustrations with your situation. Trust in Jesus this morning. Let him be the manager of your heart. Let him give extravagantly to you. Receive that this morning. Follow him. Trust him. I invite you to trust in him this morning. So Jesus, we receive this meal together as a church because you instituted it for your glory and your fame all across the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.